0: Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's word? We're moving now to uh, Jephthah. Uh, Jephthah is, is an interesting, Character And what is said leading up to the story about Jephthah is an interesting uh, turn of events. It's not that much different from what we have heard before, which is once the children of Israel, the various tribes, get out of trouble, not too long later they get back into trouble. What is different here is what is written in chapter 10 leading up to Jephthah. Jephthah is not mentioned until chapter 11. But before you get to Jephthah, there's there's kind of a background that you need to see. Look at chapter 10 of Judges starting with verse 6, and then the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. They worshiped the Baal gods and Ashtoreth goddesses, gods of Aram, Sidon, and Moab, gods of the Ammonites and the Philistines. They just walked off and left God, quit worshiping him. And God exploded in hot anger at Israel and sold them off to the Philistines and the Ammonites who beginning that year bullied and battered the people of Israel mercilessly. For 18 years they had them under their thumb, all the people of Israel who lived east of the Jordan in the Amorite country of Gilead. Then the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to go to war also against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in a bad way. The people of Israel cried out to God for help. We've sinned against you. We left our God and worshiped the Baal gods. God answered the people of Israel. When the Egyptians, Amorites, Ammonites, Philistines, Sidonians, even Amalek and Midian oppressed you and you cried out to me for help, I saved you from them. And now you've gone off and betrayed prayed me, worshiping other gods. I'm not saving you anymore. Go ahead. Cry out for help to the gods you've chosen. Let them get you out of the mess you're in. The people of Israel said to God, we've sinned. Do to us whatever you think best, but please get us out of this. Isn't that oxymoronic? Uh, do, Do what you want, but get us out of this. Then they cleaned house of the foreign gods and worshiped only God, and God took Israel's troubles to heart. All right, in this description, you don't get this description with all of the judges, and I know we're not covering them all, but you get a little bit more detail with this. And the detail sets this story apart from the others in at least two ways. Number one, the description of the Israelites' sin is more extensive. If you read what, 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 what we just looked at, it's not just one false god. It's not just one idol. It's a list of idols. It's a whole set of deities from different nations that they have abandoned God for. The gods listed are those being worshiped by various tribes throughout Israel at this point in time. And the point of the list is to help you see just how bad things have gotten. That it's not a singular tribe. In fact, if you look at it, it's not just one tribe. It's several tribes that are all guilty of the same thing. So the, 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 the severity of the situation is greater, which leads to God's response being more severe. And God's response is, I ain't going to do nothing for y'all because I'm tired of being played. I'm tired of every time y'all get in a mess, I get you out of the mess, and you promise I ain't going to ever get back in the mess again. And before you can close your eyes, you're back at it again. Any of y'all ever do that with God? Anybody in here ever, ever say to God, if you just get me out of this one, and don't let nobody know, get, get me out of it, but make sure nobody knows. What I was, I promise you, I'll never do it again. God says, I've gotten you out of one crack after another. I, I, I've, I've helped you. Every time a foreign nation has come against you, I have been there. I have delivered you. And the moment I deliver you, you go back into the same mess that you have gone into before. He says, I'm not going to do it anymore. You, you, you're on your own." And their response is, no, please get us out of this one. If you get us out of this one, we, we've learned our lesson this time. And, and we'll never do again what, what we're doing here, which we will come to find out is not true. For, for us, it's important for us to recognize that repentance, true repentance, is more than just I'm sorry. All of us when we, have found, when we find ourselves in the wrong ought to have the manners to say I'm sorry. And, and, and hopefully when you say it you mean it. But we do need to understand that repentance is more than just godly sorrow. Repentance carries with it the obligation, after you have expressed your sorrow, to commit to never do it again. It's, I've learned my lesson, I won't do it anymore. It's a turn. Literally, the word means to turn around, repent, to turn around, to, to, to go in a different direction direction. It is what we are called upon to do as Christians. When, when, when John the Baptist started preaching uh, around the Jordan River, his call was not merely for sorrow. His call was for repentance, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness after being tested by Satan, after the temptation experience, the first sermon that he gives is a one-line sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The church cannot be satisfied with just being sorry. The church has to come to a place of true repentance. We have to come to a place where we acknowledge the damage that has been done by the actions and the thinking and the behavior that we have engaged in. And we have to acknowledge that it's not just toward other people. It is also toward God. This is not the only place where God expresses sorrow, where God expresses regret, where God expresses hurt, and you should think about the fact that you have the ability to hurt God. God is all-powerful. God, God fr- from everlasting to everlasting, everything that is, God created, and yet you have the ability to hurt God when you willfully choose to do what you want to do rather than what He has called you to do. I remind you again, for for the church, for those who are post-Pentecost, sin is not just in behavior. See, everything in the Old Testament is about behavior, what you do. But, but, but Jesus says sin is not just what you do, it's also how you think. Some of y'all are content with the fact, I thought about it, I just didn't do it. Well, Jesus says thinking about it is a sin. You don't have to commit adultery, you just have to want to commit adultery. I'm, I'm just saying what the word says, Brother Burns. See, he says, he says, you don't have to want to kill somebody, you just have to call them a fool. And, 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 and he says, by calling them a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So, we have to recognize that the gravity of sin is not just in what we do, but it is in how we think. And that's important because our actions usually are prompted by our thinking. If you don't focus and fix your mind on God, then your mind is fixed on Satan. I don't care who you call Satan or whether or not you call them Satan. If your mind is fixed on you, then you Satan. If your mind is fixed on your children more than God, don't get up and walk out, not yet anyway, then you have made your children. Anything you put before God is dangerous and destructive. And God said, I ain't going to help you no more. I'm I'm tired of being played by you. And they said, we're not going to do it again this time. We're going to get it right this time. They, they, they repented, they turned from the worship of the false gods, they returned to God. And God responds, not so much because of their repentance, but because of his character. And I think that's important for us to realize, too. When God does what he does for us, you, you hear me say often, not because of us, but in spite of us. God does what he does not because we're so wonderful, but because he's so wonderful. Because because it, it is within the character of God to go beyond himself, to go beyond what he said he wouldn't do and do it anyway because his love prevails over his justice. And that ought to be reason for everybody in here to shout. Because if, if, if you're trying to make it on justice alone, on, on your righteousness, on your goodness, well, you might as well go ahead and make your reservation for hell right now, because that's where you're going to be. It, It is not because of us, but in spite of us, God's mercy is the basis of our salvation. So that's the lead-in that gets us into chapter 11, and I've got to move fast. Starting with verse 1. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was one tough warrior. He was the son of a whore, but Gilead was his father. Meanwhile, Gilead's legal wife had given him other sons, and when they grew up, his wife's sons threw Jephthah out. They told him, you're not getting any of our family inheritance. You're the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and went to live in the land of Tob. Some riffraff joined him and went around with him. Some time passed. And then the Ammonites started fighting Israel. With the Ammonites at war with them, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. They said to Jephthah, come. Be our general and we'll fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, but you hate me. You kicked me out of my family home. So why are you coming to me now? Because you're in trouble, right? The elders of Gilead replied, that's it exactly. We've come to you to get you to go with us and fight the Ammonites. You'll be the head of all of us, all the Gileadites. Jephthah addressed the elders of Gilead, so if you bring me back home to fight the Ammonites and God gives them to me, I'll be your head. Is that right? They said, God is witness between us. Whatever you say, we'll do. Jephthah went along with the elders of Gilead, the people made him their top man and general, and Jephthah repeated what he had said before God at Mizpah. I love Jephthah's story up to this point. Now, Jephthah does something stupid on the back end, but, but, but I love Jephthah's story up to this point because it's real. One of the things I love about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't sugarcoat stuff. The Bible doesn't cover up stuff. What happens is what happens. Jephthah was an outside child. That's the polite way of putting it. Y- y'all got other ways of putting it. Jephthah was an outside child. And because he was an outside child, his half-siblings decided he can't stay here because he shouldn't have any part of our father's inheritance. Now. Remember, inheritance was passed from the father to the child. Wasn't passed through the mama. They had the same daddy. But the the, the brothers of the legitimate wife said that this boy who came through non-legitimate means can't share in our inheritance. We're going to put him out. There's a danger in, in, in the use of the term that I just used, legitimate, because children ain't got nothing to do with how they come into the world. I, I, I was doing better when I said outside. But, but, but they decided in their own sanctimony that they were better than Jephthah because of how they came into the world versus how Jephthah came into the world. He don't belong with us. He's not one of us. He's not good enough to stay with us. He can't sit at our table. He can't play with us when we play our games. He can't be a part of this family unit. They put him out until they needed him. And when they found themselves in trouble and when they found themselves oppressed and when they found their lives threatened and they could not respond to the threat in their own strength, they went and got the one that they had thrown out and they said, come back and help us. I love this because this is the way folk are. This is real. This ain't just in the Bible. Somebody in here is dealing with that right now. Know something. For various reasons, all of us are disposable to somebody. I want you to think about that. You who think you all that and a bag of chips. You, you, you who think there can't nobody get along without you that I'm so important, that I'm an integral part of of these other people's existence, that they can't make it without me. Let me tell you something. All of us are disposable to somebody. They will use you for all they can get from you, and when you are no longer usable to them, they will drop you like a hot rock. Now, there's nothing to get mad about. There's nothing to to be offended. How dare them do that? Who you think you are? Part of our problem, one of the biggest problems we have today is that we think way too much of ourselves. And we think that what can happen to other folk cannot happen to us. There is a sliver of a difference between you and just about anybody else you can think of. Think about the worst person. Let's do a mental test. Think about the worst person you can think of. And now understand something. It's just a sliver of difference. Just a sliver of difference between you and that person you can't stand. Something in your life went one way for you and went a different way for somebody else. And they made a different set of choices based upon the fact that it went a different way. If it had gone the way that it went for them, for you. You might have made different choices as well. I went to school with some kids who are now in Angola. I don't think I'm better than any of those kids. In fact, a lot of them, a whole lot smarter than I was. We just had a sliver of a difference. Raised in the same neighborhood, played in the same streets, told the same lies, (laughs) did all the same things that they did. But somewhere along the way, they made one choice and I made another. And it turned out well for me and it did not turn out so well for them. That's the difference. And that's the only difference between me and those people. When I was a kid, they were cutting the interstate through uh, 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 up into North Baton Rouge uh, to Harding Boulevard. And uh, all the construction of, of that cloverleaf that exists at Airline uh, Highway, you know, the big, the big thing that goes over the top, all that stuff was exposed. Yep. And my mama told me, stay away from me. Don't go over there. Don't let me catch you over there. Well, I did that part. Made sure she never caught me. (laughs) But at the age of 12 and 13 years old, me and my buddies, I could call their names, Wayne Hall, Dwayne Hildreth, Wyman Dawson, how y'all doing? (laughs) George Nash, Jamie, all of us. We had we we, we 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 had a dare. The the it, when you drive up there next time, look at the as as you're passing over airline, look at the undercarriage. The undercarriage is made out of metal, made out of some kind of steel, and it was exposed at the time, which means that you could walk through it. So we made a dare. You had to crawl out underneath that. It's as long as we had to crawl all the way out to that thing until it's hanging over airline highway. And you had to crawl all the way out to the exterior, slide across the thing, and then crawl back in and go back down. There. You couldn't go back the way that you came. You had to go out and come back down the other way. When, you, when, when you're out at the top, you're about 75 feet off the ground. If you fall, you're going to be severely hurt or dead. The only one of us who had sense enough not to do it was Dwayne Hildreth. He said, I ain't, and my mama told me not to do that, and I ain't. The rest of us, our mama's told us not to do it, too. Every single one of us crawled out there, slid across and crawled back in the other way. Now, I say nothing happened, no, not one of us fell. But every time I drive by that thing, every time I drive by that thing, I think about if I had fallen, and they would have stretched me out right here, and all y'all would have come by and looked at me and would have said, where was his mama when he was doing all of that? Mama would have been blamed, poor parenting. I don't don't know what, how how could a mama let that happen to that boy? Wasn't mama's fault. Mama told me what to do. I made a choice. It was a stupid choice. It It was a me first choice. All I'm saying is The difference between us and the people that we can't stand is a choice. It's a sliver. And you shouldn't think too highly of yourself. Because if if it had gone a different way, your life could be very, very different from the way it is right now. And, and, And if you keep that in your mind, maybe you wouldn't be so hard on the folk that you don't like. They, they, Yes, they hurt you. Yes, they disappointed you. Yes, they angered you. Whatever it is that they did, however it is that got you to feel the way that you feel, perhaps if you realize that there's just this much difference between you and them, maybe, maybe your heart could be a little bit softer. Maybe there could be a little bit more compassion than, than there is. These people decided, we don't want Jephthah, we don't like Jephthah, we don't want Jephthah around us, we don't want Jephthah in our lives, we don't want Jephthah in our family, we sure don't want Jephthah to get none of daddy's money, until they needed Jephthah. And when they found out that they needed him, they went back and got him. The thing I like about it is Jephthah said, so now you want to use me, right? And you know what they said? You doggone right, we sure do. At least they were honest enough to admit this is what we're doing. We are using you. We can't handle this on our own. We need help. We need the unique help that you can provide. And so, yes, we are going to use you. And Jephthah said, well, if I'm being used, as long as you know, then I'm going to be the boss when this whole thing is over. And, 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 and that's how they proceed. The other good thing about this is that it it, it helps us to know that it does not matter where we start. It only matters where we let God take us. Some people are looked down upon because of where you started from. Started in the country, started rural, started poor, started uneducated, and, and, and people look down on you because of where you started. Don't let anybody put you down because of where you started from. It does not matter where you started from. It only matters that at some point you put yourself in God's hands. And, and, and at that point you let God carry you where he wanted you to go. The great thing about God is that God can carry you from anywhere to where he wants you to be. You don't have to start off in an ivory tower. You don't have to start off with a silver spoon in your mouth. If you put your hand in God's hand, if you put your life into God's care and God's control, God can carry you to great places if you allow him to. Jephthah recognizes what they're doing, that they're using him. He says, that's okay. I'll be used because I know that it's God who's doing it. Skip down to verse 29. God's Spirit came upon Jephthah. He went across Gilead and Manasseh went through Mizpah of Gilead and from there approached the Ammonites. Jephthah made a vow before God. If you give me a clear victory over the Ammonites, then I'll give to God whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in one piece from among the Ammonites, I'll offer it up in a sacrificial burnt offering. Jephthah was doing fine. Right up to here. How do you know he was doing fine? Verse 29 says, God's spirit came upon Jephthah. God's spirit. Once again, I told you this the last time we were together. The spirit of the Lord prior to Pentecost was not pervasive. The work of the Holy Spirit was not pervasive, it was invasive. And what do I mean by that? I mean that for every believer in here, all of us have the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit when we accept Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior, but prior to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's work was unique to specific individuals or groups. God would give His Spirit or lend His Spirit to that person or to that group to perform a specific task, and once that task was over, the Spirit would leave that person. So when verse 29 says, God's Spirit came upon Jephthah, It was saying that Jephthah was now set apart by God in a divine and powerful way. He had something that nobody else around him had. And what he had was sufficient. He didn't need anything else. He didn't need to make any kind of protestation or promise Because he had the Spirit. But for whatever reason, Jephthah did not think that having the Spirit was enough. And so he commits himself to something in addition to the presence of the Holy Spirit, thinking that he was helping his cause when in fact, he was hurting himself deeply. And he would not know until later just how badly he hurt himself. Here's the practical lesson for you and me. We got more sense than Jephthah has. We have more experience than Jephthah has. We know that we have the Holy Spirit. So why are you still making crazy promises to God that you don't have to make? and that God doesn't ask for. Stop telling God, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or I'm going to do the other. God wants you to do what he asked you to do. He doesn't need you to make promises you're going to do something else. What is it that the Lord has asked you to do? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God didn't ask and does not ask for any special sacrifices. Love should dictate the sacrifice that you give. Love for God, love for your fellow man should dictate the sacrifice that you give. No special sacrifices are necessary, not in order to please God, not a, Remember, Look at what he says. He made a vow before God, if you give me a clear victory. What is it with these judges that every time God, weren't we just dealing with this with Gideon last week where where God tells Gideon, I'm sending you, I'm with you, you will win this battle as one man. And Gideon says, thank you for telling me that. But now look, I got this fleece. And I, I, I need this fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry. And then I need for the fleece to be dry and for the ground to be wet. And here we are with Jephthah. Verse 29 says God's spirit was upon him. Verse 30 says he made a vow before the Lord. What is it with us that having God's spirit for us just ain't enough? What is it with us that, that, that knowing that we're saved is not enough? Knowing that God is with us is not enough. Do you know? Have you ever thought about the fact that I got three minutes and I gotta go? You ever thought about the fact that when you do that, you're really calling God a liar? Lo, I am with you always, even to the end. Of the world god if you go with me then i'll do this didn't i just say i'm with you always in this world you will have tribulation lord i'm going through some trouble now but 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 i just need to make sure what is when we do that we're actually calling god a lion. I'm putting it out there like that because I want you to think about it that way and maybe you'll stop doing it. You're telling God, I don't believe what you said. You're telling God, I, I, I heard you, but I don't really trust you. And it's a dangerous place to be that you can hear God and not trust what he says. Don't get too mad with Gideon and his fleece because you and I do the same Thing. Don't get too, too, too upset with, with, with others who have expressed doubt with God because you and I do it all the time. If our faith is to increase, if, I, if, if our faith is to enhance our relationship with God, we have to grow to the place where we trust him even if we don't see what it is that we think we ought to see. And by the way, is that not how faith is defined? The substance of things hoped for. Some of us wake up in in the morning and we say, God, thank you for being with me. And then by the time we get to the kitchen, we start asking, God, where are you? God didn't stay in the bedroom. God is with you everywhere you go. Doesn't mean that everything is going to turn out the way you want it to turn out. What happens with Jephthah? Jephthah goes in. He fights the fight. He wins the battle. But when he's coming home, instead of a sheep or a goat or a ram or a dog or a turtle or a horse coming to meet him, it's his child, his only child who comes out the door to greet him. And Jephthah goes from being excited and exuberant to being greatly sorrowful because he made a vow before God that he would sacrifice whatever came out. Quit making promises that nobody asked you to make. Just do what the Lord said do. You'll be better and God will be satisfied.